The following episode of the Drew Barry Marathon was recorded during the WGA and SAG After Strikes of 2023. Our show is a film history podcast, spotlighting one actor every season and using their career to chart the course of our entertainment landscape. It is not a companion watch along show, and we in no way encourage you to watch with us. Instead, our criticism is a vehicle for the season's larger conversation. Without the labor of the writers and actors currently on strike, the films covered on this show simply wouldn't exist. We stand with the striking writers and actors and promote the resolution of a fair and living wage. Welcome back to the Barry Marathon. My name is Taylor. And my name is Patrick, and you did that a little bit differently this time around, Taylor. I know, this is our second try at this intro, and I just didn't feel right the first time. All right, I'm going to do my bit. And I have a question for you, Taylor. Hmm, whatever could it be, Patrick? If you could be any fairy tale character, I'm talking Brothers Grimm, okay, I'm talking about like, you know, a long ago fairy tale character from Cinderella to Pinocchio. Maybe even Cinderella, oink, oink. Who would you be and why? Well, I'm assuming that you specified Brothers Grimm because when I first answered this question, my answer was Tiana because I've always wanted to uh, own a restaurant. Um, But since you have clarified, um, my new answer is going to be Sleeping Beauty because I literally love to sleep and uh, beauty sleep is for hot girls. I mean, she has two character traits. She's very sleepy, and then she wakes up to her Prince Charming. And she's beautiful, so she's just like me. Yeah. What more could you need? She's just like me for real. (laughs) I ask, of course, because one of our two movies this week is uh, the film Ever After from 1998. We have doubled that with another 98 movie, Home Fries. Uh, It's just a case of, you know, we didn't plan on doubling these two movies, It's one of those, like, we should double these two movies. Yeah, both in the same decade. um, Same year. Sorry, (laughs) definitely both in the same decade. Um, Both in the same year, thank you. Um, And, you know, we watched Ever After first because we were going to do the episode on it, and we just went like, I don't know how much I have to say about this. Um, So it's being doubled with Home Fries, which I think we each will have a lot to say things about. Um, for better or for worse. For better or for worse. This is, of course, the Drew Barry Marathon. So um, I think I tapped the mic there. I'm sorry. This is, of course, the Drew Barry Marathon. Um, and we are watching every Drew Barry Barrymore movie in chronological order uh, and analyzing film history as it goes. Um, and I do. I feel like we have a lot to talk about in the film history aspect when it comes to Ever After. Uh, there was a big genre boom of these kind of medieval-esque movies. Yeah, we'll talk about those obviously in a second. In, in a minute, I'm going to read from the Video Hounds Golden Movie Retriever 2004 Complete Guide to Movies on Video Cassette and DVD. Yeah, 90s big time, big revival of literary adaptations, period pieces. It, it happened for a good, you know, really well into the 2000s, and then the 2000s even kind of put its own spin on it. Um, we'll talk about all of those in a second, but first, ever after. Okay, let me read from the Video Hound Guide. Ever After, A Cinderella Story, Three Bones, which is pretty good rating for them. Out of four, right? I believe so. The adorable Barrymore takes on Cinderella, 
renamed Danielle and very capable in this not quite a fairy tale version set in 16th century France. Houston's the peeve stepmom, Rodmilla, who reduces Danielle to the role of servant in her own home after her beloved father dies. Danielle still falls for handsome Prince Henry, only she's not above trying to change the arrogant snob's opinions and tweak him about his privileged upbringing. Artist genius Leonardo da Vinci serves as the prince's confidant, and there's still a lovely masked ball and a shoe to be lost and found. They liked it quite a bit. Yeah. And this uh, is a, a beloved movie, and I definitely would not say that we di- we disliked it in any way, um, but it just didn't feel like whole episode territory for us. I think what it is for me, and I'm just going to be very honest here, it's... You know, it's a movie of its time. It does feel kind of dated. Um, Not that it's like untimely or like not a classic story. Obviously it is. It's Cinderella. You can tell Cinderella at any time. But just like the production itself just felt a little outdated. And I think this is a movie where if you grew up with this, you probably loved it. But watching it objectively as an adult who had never seen it before, like, yeah, it just feels too long. You know, there are some production flaws, I think. Um, You know, it's not a bad movie. I enjoyed myself watching it. Um, It just wasn't... I I feel like the the conversation that needs to be had is about this genre boom and not necessarily this movie, as it was more like a byproduct of what was happening in the world of cinema at the time. Yeah, so obviously 90s, big time to bring back uh, classic lit. You know, we had the modern day adaptations from Clueless, which is, of course, uh, Emma, to um, Ten Things I Hate About You, which is The Taming of the Shrew. She's the Man, which is, of course, Twelfth Night. It gets a little 2000s, but yes, of course. Um, you know, also in the 90s, they liked their period pieces. You know, we, we got plenty of them. Go ahead. Pride, of, Pride and Prejudice. There were like mul- there were like three different versions that came around. I'm probably going to dip into the 2000s here. I don't know, like years off the top of my head. But we see like Howard's End and we see... Um, uh, the actual Emma with Gwyneth Paltrow. Yes. Shakespeare in Love won the Oscar. I mean, there were like... Yeah. It was a big like... Oh, Romeo and Juliet, Baz Luhrmann's version. Yeah. Obviously, that is um, modern day set, but you still She's like. All that. We're just getting a ton of of this, whether it's it's period or not. It's a huge thing at this time, and and continued to be for really a long time. And then if we're not, if we're going for the slightly off kilter, not a direct literary adaptation. Well, actually, I think some of these are. Um, you get a Knight's Tale, which is obviously one part of the Canterbury Tales. I love a Knight's Tale. I watched that in English class, and I absolutely adored it. Heath Ledger, um, and it's just like so funny. I have not revisited it in years because I'm kind of worried I'm going to spoil it for myself, but I do think people really like that movie. But you have a Knight's Tale, you have Enchanted, you have Ella Enchanted. I even feel like a, the Princess Diaries kind of dive into this sort of princess theme you have you know there are like this is getting into the 2000s but you have like like five different Cinderella stories that premiere um you have like the Cinderella story with Hilary Duff you have a Cinderella story with Selena Gomez the Brandy Cinderella yes like I mean they're they were just everywhere so like even if it wasn't a direct literary adaptation it was at least drawing from literature. It was being set in the medieval times, and it felt like everyone and their mom must have been in in a, in a medieval or literary adaptation of at this time. I don't want this episode to just be listing off these movies. You've seen a lot of them. You know a lot of them, but there are some pretty obvious ones that we missed. 
Um, Elizabeth, Sense and Sensibility, Little Women, An Ideal Husband, The Man in the Iron Mask, uh, uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, The Scarlet Letter. Oh, Picture of Dorian Gray, I believe, came out around Sleepy the time. Sleepy Hollow, Ken Brana makes his four-hour-long every single word of the text Hamlet. Which is a bop, by uh, the way. Uh, it is a great film. Um, uh, Ian, uh, Ian McKellen makes his Richard III. I mean, like, this is huge. And then when you get into the 2000s, we're still kind of doing it, but it's getting kind of dark, right? Yeah. There's that, um, there's that Brothers Grimm movie with Heath Ledger and Matt Damon. We or I feel like the alternative route to like it being dark is just like we get like a little farther from the material. Well, that of course, right? But you know, we also get uh, Red Riding Hood, which is the Amanda Seyfried one, and then there's like Dracula Untold, and like we're still doing a lot of this. I mean, really for you know almost like twenty years. What is the Angelina Jolie um, Maleficent? Maleficent, right? Oh, I think you mean Beowulf. No. Well, there's the there Maleficent is... is the Disney movie. Beowulf okay. is like her um, literary adaptation that she did. Um, You know, everybody did one. You're right. Everybody and their mom did one. And they were all different types. And this was the, like, family, cute family version. That was not, like... Well, actually, no, I take that back. I was going to say it's not a direct literary adaptation. It is. It's it's Cinderella. But I, I guess what I it mean is... It is undeniably Cinderella. It is just not like... They are not named Cinderella. It is not like a direct like modernization of the exact story. I mean, I guess it kind of is. It's hard to describe. It just like... It feels like it lives both in that world and in its own. Yeah, I mean, Cinderella, you know, if you do just the plot beats of the classic story, it's probably 25 minutes long. Yeah. You know, so you have to extend it in some way, and their version is... When did Leonardo da Vinci live? Well, I guess that's when we'll set it. It's definitely a, a funky, like, da Vinci's in a lot of this movie. And it was like... Why? <laughs> what? It, it felt kind of like, what age is this for? Like, yeah. Is this like, yeah. the, the like a little bit more grown-up Cinderella? You know, like, are children supposed to know who da Vinci is? Or is this telling them who da Vinci is, you know? Yeah, I definitely feel that way. I feel like... um I feel like I, I we end up saying this on so many episodes of this project, and by project I mean beyond the Drew Barrymore-thon, but also um, the Vince Vaughn-a-thon. Um, you know, it's not the best of the genre. It is emulating, like, in my opinion. I Again, I can see how you grow up with this, and you go, like, this movie kicks ass, and it is so fun and so fresh and, and whatever, but it didn't hit that way for me personally. Um, I, I'll take the, the she's the man's, and I'll take the, the cluelesses and, um, you know, things like that, but it's, yeah, it, it wasn't, it, it's not my thing, but I respect it and appreciate it and see how people really dig it. Um, and they really do dig it. Yes. Um, I mean, it's, it's actually like pretty beautiful. Like, I think that like the, like the, the filmography of it, like the cinematography is actually really beautiful. Um, the colors are gorgeous. It, it feels like it's almost like painted. Like it feels very illustrative. Um, I think that's kind of like they're doing a, it's almost kind of theatrical in like yeah. Da Vinci's character is like, they're using him to like, I mean, there are references to his paintings and stuff in the cinematography, in the framing of, of specific scenes and stuff. And so it's very like, it's you don't see this a lot in movies. You see this a lot more in plays where it's like the director had a concept. And this kind of feels like that. It feels like a storyboard come to life. Yeah. I feel like you can see in movies how like, oh yeah, this is the storyboard, but it becomes so much more or it becomes so different once you get people involved. And 
you know, it just evolves in that way. But this very much feels like they had a clear vision in mind and then they used people to bring that specific vision to life. Which is interesting because director Andy Tennant, who made a film that we've already talked about this year, the Amy Fisher story, which was crazy, uh, is not someone you think of as an auteur. I don't think a lot of people think of him as my guy. He made Hitch. He made Sweet Home Alabama. Ever After. Oh, I love Sweet Home Alabama. The Bounty Hunter. Fool's Gold. Wow, which, you're naming like every movie my mom loved. I think she's he's my mom's guy. We tried watching Fool's Gold recently because we were like, uh, it's got Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson after the movie, which is escaping me. Ten things. Uh, How to Lose a Guy yeah, in Ten Days. Thank you, thank you. We were like, this is going to be crazy. It was basically unwatchable. Uh, Mary-Kate Nashley and It Takes Two. Oh, love. Uh, and then the last kind of big one is uh, Matthew Perry and Selma Hayek in Fool's Rush In. So he's made, he, I mean, he makes romantic comedies. Yeah, I, mean, I think this is my mom's favorite director. And But you don't think of him as like, um, that's a guy who's got a vision. Maybe he does. I don't yeah. want to disrespect his work. But a lot of those movies just seem like journeyman movies. This feels like a passion project. It really does. And like every essence of that, it feels like a passion project. It feels like something that, and I, and I use this word very tactfully. I think it feels like something he dreamt up. Like it feels dreamy. It feels of his dreams. Um, and I, I really appreciate that. I think that there's, I think where I get conflicted about this movie. And again, is this something that would have bothered me uh, if I was 12 years old watching this? No, but as an adult, something that bothers me is the performances, and particularly the accents, are very disjointed. Okay, okay, this is the Drew's crazy accent double feature. Yes, that's that was our through line, um, and not intentionally, but also intentionally. Um, there's a lot that feels disjointed about the accents. We will get into Drew's specific accents in a second, but I do think that this goes beyond her. Um, it's clear that, like, the principal cast is American, and, you know, they are, you know... they Or they are, not French. Or well, no, well, they're not doing a French accent. They're doing British accents. But there, it's that weird, like, British for France thing. It's that yeah. Les Mis thing where, like, Les Mis, even though it was written originally in French, now it's, you know, in its translation, it's like... It's written in that British rhythm, and now everyone does a British accent when they sing Way Miss. Yeah, I, I hear you. Um, but yeah, it's clear that the principal cast was not European, was not British, was not French, you know, was, was American, more or less. Doug Gray Scott is Scottish. Um, uh, we obviously have Angelica Houston, who we know is American. I'm not sure who plays Da Vinci. Uh, Patrick Godfrey, he's British. Okay. Well, there are... Okay, I'll, I'll retract my statement and say there are some... It's, it is, but it is not... It's everybody. Like, it's every... You know, we've got a bunch of different countries. Yes. Stuff. There are some principal actors that are American and that cannot do a good British accent. And then they are placed in a world where clearly, like... Every extra, and they must have filmed in England is all I can imagine France. because or they filmed in France or like, you know, brought English speaking actors over. But um, every single bit character is rooted in that world. They have a flawless accent because they are that. But when you have Drew Barrymore, who is not God lover, a, a great, doesn't have a great ear for accents. She sticks out like a sore thumb. Well, she also, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to tease her girl, but she in both films, and it works better in um, 
uh, the other phone when she, home fries, oh, fries it, because it's kind of laughing at itself. Yeah, it's it's kind of silly, right? But she has just such a distinct voice. She does, right? I mean, it's really like you know, you you can pick Holly Hunter out of out of the Incredibles, you know, upcoming Y two Kids episode. You know, like you can't miss her, you know. And when she does something else with that voice, it just seems kind of weird. Yeah, I. I feel like, um, and then on top of the fact that she just, if we're being honest, just can't really can't, just really can't do it. Yeah, it's kind of a weird combination. Yeah, so I will say like that. I hate to like say this accent ruined the movie for me. I wouldn't take it that far, but I will say like the accent was something I couldn't get over. It, not hers again, like multiple people's accents. The accents in general being disjointed is something that I really couldn't get over. And it really stopped me from being fully into this world, which is a shame because I do feel like um, otherwise this world is fully realized. I mean, like I said, cinematography is beautiful. It has a great like score. Um, I mean, it, it's a really a fully fleshed out dreamlike illustrative world that he's created, but these people just stick out like sore thumbs. And it really just like was kind of like nails on a chalkboard for me. And I don't mean that in terms of their talent. I just mean in juxtaposition of people who actually speak like that. You know, it's a pet peeve of mine in in plays in the theater when you go see an Agatha Christie play or you go see, you know, whatever British playwright and they're all doing a British accent for no reason. Like, yeah, we know it's Agatha Christie, but no one, like, none of you guys can do it. And you guys, like, I mean, it's a difficult thing to do. That's why people are trained in that very specifically. Yeah, there are many brilliant professional actors who can't do it. I yeah. mean, it's 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 hard to get right. There are even British actors who then go to RP, and then they can't even pull it off. Right. Like, it's, it's so based on dialect. It's so based on your ear. I mean, you really have to have a very specific ear to be able to emulate things correctly. And so, you know, I watch this play and I go, why don't you guys just talk the way you're supposed to talk? Like, you, would, you wouldn't be so anxious about the accents. You could be more in the moment, you know, whatever. And that always bothers me. And I always feel like, like, we're in a play, like we're in a theater. Like, we're watching a play. We can suspend disbelief. You know, it's okay. Uh, I mean, like a character just said, isn't our beautiful, you know, country home in, in you know, right. Check. Norfolk, England? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Got it. You know, and like plays are weird because you don't have lights like that pointing at you in real life. You know, like you can, we can suspend that disbelief. People can't do that in film, right? It's such a realistic medium. It's being a photographic medium. People expect it to be perfect. Right. And so they want to do it. They want everybody to do the voice. I feel like they kind of could have gotten away with everybody just having this multicultural cast, this international cast all just speak in their original dialect and it would have been weird for like five minutes, but then we would have gotten over it. Yeah, it's sort of the Gerard Butler thing. Is like, why does he try to be American? He could yeah. just be Scottish, and that doesn't mean he needs a backstory. There are just people with accents that live in other countries. Like, right. there are just people that emigrate, you know, like all the time, anywhere in the world, you will find people with different accents. So um, I, I think that that's something that, like, filmmakers and world creators get hung up on and I wish that they didn't. Do you have anything else you want to add about Ever After? I don't. I don't. Um, I think that that pretty much says it all. Well, I asked you that in hopes that you would and you could vamp while I find the new page. Oh. um, 
great costumes. Um, Drew Barrymore. Oh, I feel like I should speak on Drew just a little bit. Um, other than her accent, she, she's super cute. All um, the time. I know I hate saying that superlative because it's just true and like um, obvious. But she's super cute. Um, I just like love her in these ingenue roles. She was like, even even though her life didn't always reflect it, she was just like so born to be an ingenue. Like she's so such a like a quirky leading lady, and I do feel like Cinderella was a good vehicle for that. Um, I just, ugh. I wish that it had sounded the part. Oh, one last thing I want to say. There's an Ever After musical. Did you know that? I think I did. And I think that's why when you said the movie, I was like, why does that sound so familiar? I think maybe, is it a direct adaptation of this? Yes. Oh. Original Workshop had Sierra Vargas and Jeremy Jordan, which wow. like, who else would you cast? Um, and uh, yeah, been hitting the regional circuit for a while now. Cool. I'll keep my eye out for it. All right, Home Fries, according to the Video Hound Guide to Movies and Video Cassettes, whatever it's called, 2004 edition. Home Fries from 1998. Two Bones, which is their middle of the pack rating. Things go from bad to worse for pregnant fast food cashier Sally, Drew Barrymore, as she learns that the father of her child is not only married, but dead. The catch is that the philanderer's stepsons are responsible and believe that Sally may have overheard their dastardly deed on her drive through headset. Brother Dorian, Luke Wilson, takes a job at the Burgermatic to find out just what Sally knows, but predictably falls in love with her instead. Tries to be a quirky dark comedy and a sweet love story, but the result is a bad mix of bleak humor and saccharine sweet puppy love. Barrymore's cute and convincing performance manages to keep the whole thing from spoiling. Unfortunately, first-time director... Pariso, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Parasots, I'm sorry, leaves the audience thinking, this isn't what I ordered. Okay, I'm going to say a couple things about this um, explanation. This person was feeling themselves today, right? They really got a kick out of writing this plot synopsis and the puns and wouldn't have whatever else. It's also like wrong a couple times. Like she doesn't discover that the father of her child is dead. There's like a scene with him and then he dies later, you know, like... I think it's like the movie doesn't start with him surprisingly being dead. Like there's just like a couple of things like that in there that are just kind of like, eh, they were trying to technically true, but not, they had limited line space in this book, I suppose. You know, I simultaneously love and hate this movie. It is such a weird movie. It is so weird. I feel very conflicted on it. Part of me goes, it's really endearing in the way that it just freaking goes for it. Like, it's so bizarre. You can't actually fathom how someone sat around a desk and managed to write it and 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 come up with this insane plot that somehow does more or less tie up all the loose ends, but despite it being just truly, truly bizarre. Um, and I respect people that just kind of swing sometimes. Um, I don't think it's written poorly. I don't. I, I think it's just a really chaotic premise i think like chaotic is probably a good word chaos doesn't mean it's bad chaos just means it's chaotic it it has a lot going on it surprises you um and that's how i felt about this i also part of me goes like wow this is so bad because of that but i don't know i feel like i feel like if they had had someone to punch it up and really play on those dark comedy notes i feel like this is a movie people would 
I mean, just like still talk about and love today. I feel like it could work as a great dark comedy. It just like was not funny enough. They really played it straight and they should have dove into that, that comedic element more, I think. Well, here's the thing that must be mentioned. It is the second film written by Vince Gilligan, who goes on to work, of course, on The X-Files, but really make a name for himself as the creator of Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. And I have Which only are seen... crazy award-winning yes, shows. Obviously beloved. I've only seen a couple episodes of Breaking Bad. You've seen... I have seen all of it. The both episode, Every episode of both series, I think. And no, I didn't. My mom has seen Better Call Saul. I, I oh. watched a couple well, episodes. Well, no, you watched the movie and everything. Yes. My point is, you, you know it a lot better than I do. Um, from what I've seen and what I know, and you know, just the osmosis of being, it being in the pop culture for years, is um, it's a dark comedy. Right. Yeah. I and mean, so he clearly has this intention, but for whatever reason, they've decided to make it a little cuter, a little quirkier. I think his script is probably a lot darker. And, you know, you put Drew and Luke in there and it kind of brightens it up a little bit. And you put her in the craziest wig I have oh ever Oh, my God. Ronald seen. McDonald, who? I mean, this is Party City level, baby. Yeah. Um, it's bad. And it kind of loses, you know, his... Or, or maybe that's not true. Maybe he, this is exactly what he wrote and he hasn't quite figured out what he's doing yet, right? This is a, a script that he wrote for an NYU film class. Oh, that really? That went on to become a movie and, you know, first-time director, as you mentioned, who was married to Quentin Tarantino's longtime editor, Sally Mankey. Um, it, it's... They, Dysfunctional at best? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the vibes are just weird. It's supposed to be you don't, funny. Yeah, you don't and know. boy, like, is it not. Yeah, it's really like... I, I don't want to be too um, harsh. I don't think that I am. I think I'm being relatively objective here when I say this. It's almost never funny. Like, it's so unfunny. And I don't mean unfunny as in jokes don't land. I mean, it is so not funny as in jokes aren't there that, like, you wonder how it could be labeled as a dark comedy at all. It's all at the same time. It is, like, really trying hard to be a rom-com. There are like obvious. I mean, look at the freaking poster. The poster would, I mean, it's it's pink and it's yellow. Yeah, and there are hearts. And they're smiling. Glittery hearts. And you would never know that. You like, can't even people, see her pregnant belly. People really. die in the first five minutes yeah. of this movie. Yeah, I mean, if you bought, if it, I can imagine, like, you know how um, this is like a very bizarre example, but you know how Succession they would do um someone made that trailer where it was like they made like instead of succession it was a rom-com for tom and greg's love Mm -hmm. i feel like you could package this up into like the cutest 30 second trailer and then people would go in and be like what the hell am i watching and like storm out of the theater yeah, the top review on Letterboxd um, calls it like a watered-down version of a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. And that's kind of exactly what it is. It, it feels like, um, that's you know... That's a great way to put a, it. ...a second cousin to Raising Arizona, you know, and you could even swap out Holly Hunter for Drew Barrymore to use that um, uh, uh, comparison again. It's, it's definitely like the B-side of that double bill. You know, it is... It's... It just doesn't work. I don't know how else to put it. It just doesn't work. And and it's kind I of... feel like if you dissected it, some things would work. I mean, yeah. Luke and Drew have undeniable chemistry. Sure. Okay. Uh Shelly Duvall is charming. I think that this kind of like, 
you know, um, one horse town family that they're trying to portray of Drew works. Like I, I love a world and Catherine O'Hara, Jake Busey. Yeah. Like great cast. Um, eh, good cast. Okay. Cast of people that I really like, sure. you know, every, everybody I think loves Shelly Duvall. Um, and I think that that's just like so cute that she's Drew's mom. I think that like the, the like drunk dad bit is like funny enough. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not great, but it's uh-huh. like, sure. I get what they're going for. Um, but it just falls apart because they are trying, they don't know what genre they're after. It's like, if you took, the um like okay if you take out the darkness right and you go into romantic comedy you get where the heart is and that's a super um i mean where the heart is is dark i'm not saying that it's not dark but actually you know what where the heart is is where the heart is is a great comparison to this another very very dark romantic comedy where a pregnant woman falls in love with a person who is not her baby's father but, but that's very effective but this is so weird because it's the it's her baby daddy's son. Yeah. And so they say like, you know, and this is not a spoiler. I mean, you know exactly where it's going to go. And, it and says it in the letterbox it, the, the video hound thing gives it away, right? But obviously they're together. He's there for the birth of the child. And she goes like, you are this baby's stepdaddy and brother. And she goes like, you can't be that. Like, and he that's goes, just weird. And he goes like, fine. Then like, just let me be the dad. And she, and she gets rolled away and you don't know what happens. And I'm like, good. Because maybe she should be like, no, this is weird, dude. Yeah. It's very, very weird. If anything, also- I feel like Drew has exercised healthy boundaries because after, so Drew like has moments with him right before she ever knows that he is a relation to this baby. Um, which is so weird to say. Um, she, you know, she invites him to Lamaze class. He goes, that's weird. Cause he knows at this point, he I knows think. the entire yeah, time, the entire time. Um, you know, he goes or he takes her to the plane. He knows at that point she kisses him, nothing wrong on her end. But like, I feel like Drew exercises these like healthy boundaries in these like honest relationship progressions, but you can't even like savor it for a second because luke knows the whole time so it's like cute for her and like weird as hell for him and i appreciate at the very least that there is like there is a lack of a resolution like we don't know that they get together in the end and they raise this baby together like you don't know that because after drew finds out that luke knows she says like can we just be amicable and move on with our lives? And he's the one that still wants to be with her. Um, which again, well then if that's the case, then you foil the romantic comedy aspect of it. So it's like, what are you going for here? Yeah. And we haven't even talked about the fact that in, within the first like seven minutes of the movie, our jaws are on the floor because Drew's working the burger manic. Okay. She's at the drive through window. This guy pulls up and he goes, Hey baby, great news. I, I told my wife that we're, you know, I'm leaving her. I'm with you. All right, we're gonna be together forever. And then it like she like hoists her belly over yeah. the drive-through window and goes like, "Well, does she know about this?" <laughs> and she's doing like another crazy accent. Okay, <laughs> and you're like, "Oh, okay, okay." This movie is like doesn't it's is going for it, right? Yeah. And then the next scene, Luke. And Gary Busey's son, Jake Busey is Gary Busey's son, right? He looks I, just like him. I he's got the same so, last name. Yes are in a fighter jet that they 
work on or have. And and fly barely above the ground? I mean, yeah. they're 20 feet above the ground. And they start And they shooting. shoot their father. They, it shoots right in front of him. Except, and, they, yeah, except they don't shoot him. So he has, uh, it's their stepfather, to be clear. And so, and the man has a heart attack and dies. The cop takes a picture with him with, with his the arm frozen around. frozen body. It's like, what the f- is going yeah. on? Cohen Brothers is like a very, what? very good analogy. I don't even think they could pull that up. I mean, the first <laughs> five minutes of this movie is, that is literally the it's first five minutes of the movie. And it's... Catherine O'Hara whoa. is doing like a weird thing here where she's like evil, but also like a nut job and also like... Of caring Desperate. mother, yeah. Like I don't know. Like I don't know what she's doing. I mean, she's just playing like capital C crazy. And I know that that's not like a word it that feels like, like you shouldn't be able to characterize any character as crazy because like characters should be well thought out. But no, her note was capital C crazy. All right, here's what I got for you. Coen Brothers, they would try and make this exact movie, right? They try yeah. to make it this dark comedy balance, a little bit of both. Here, here's what I got for you. It's a John Waters movie. And they're just, they're just regular old weirdos and they just commit to the weirdo. Okay. So here's the thing. This is where, and this is where I feel with this. Put Divine in the Catherine O'Hara part. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. No. Put freaking Ricky Lake in the, in the Drew part. I was going to say something very similar and that is this movie can't exist and be good as it is. There's too much going on. You either have to absolutely fully commit to the weirdo bit. And I don't even mean punch up. I don't even mean like lean into the comedy aspect and find jokes. I mean, lean into the just like absurdist nature of it, or you have to dial it back. There's like this in between does not work. And so I think that, you know, you're onto something with that John Waters thing. Put Iggy Pop in as the drunk dad. Yeah. Yeah. And just make it, you know, like a trailer park movie. Yeah. I mean, Far From Home was crazy, but it worked because it was just like an eclectic and obscure and chaotic group of people. Like you just, you had to believe that it could happen because the, the tone of the place, I'm not saying trailer parks are inherently those things, but in this scenario, it was clear from the get go that this specific trailer park was just bizarre and off kilter in some way. And so you have a, you have a much easier time believing that these things can happen. You go like, how does this movie, how does home fries happen in just like a normal town with like relatively normal people? Like that's weird. It's weird. It's all of it. All of it is weird. Um, I don't want to poo on this movie because part of me goes like, it's kind of like a camp, like iconic mess. I, would I watch it again? Uh, maybe three sheets to the wind. <laughs> maybe six sheets, actually. Um, but I don't know. I feel like there's something there. I really... I, don't, I, but it's like, I, I don't can't say enough. I don't think it's weird enough to be midnight movie territory. No. I don't think it's perky enough to be cult territory. You really like hit the nail on the head with saying John Waters. Which is what I was saying like if, if, at the beginning of this. When I said, you know, if you really leaned into the dark comedy of it, and maybe the word that I was looking for more than dark comedy was absurdity, you know, whatever. Um, if you leaned into that, I think that this could be a cult movie. I think this could be a midnight movie. And I think that um, it just couldn't be that for for many reasons that we got into. Um, and that's a shame because I feel like there are the bones there for something funner, more fun, greater. 
yeah, you know, John Waters calls the burger matic like the burger gurgler or something, you know, and just commits to it being freaking weird. And you just go, like, okay, whatever. You know, um, all this talk about John Waters, we live here. Why don't you reach out to him? Yeah, I'll, I'll ask him what he thinks of home fries. Yeah, go to Atomic Books. Is that what it's called? Atomic yes. Books and go say hi. Yeah. All right, anything you want to add about Ever After or Home Fries? It is a good thing that we doubled these two movies. Yes, it is. Um, Not much to say. I think, I feel like, I mean, you definitely know this, the Home Fries territory, whereas I know the kind of Ever After territory a little bit more in terms of film history. Do you have anything to add in terms of like, I mean, the Coen brothers were obviously doing a similar thing around this time. Um, Well, we've watched a ton of these, right? I mean, we did the... um, What's the Vince movie where he's a cop in the diner? Oh, God. Um, just oh, my luck. Just, just your luck. Just, yeah, something like that. Right. This this thing, this sort it feels direct-to-video, even if it's not direct-to-video, this sort of quirky crime caper. I mean, we even watched one last week for Drew, you know, um, with uh, Best Men. You know, the, and that's another Luke. This, that movie would be a hell of a double feature, this Luke Wilson, Drew Barrymore double. Yeah. Um, that thing, I, I just find it really unsuccessful. There are very few of these. I think you need like an auteur who can really ride that line. I don't think Vince Gilligan is there yet, you know. And um, we've between the two seasons of the show, we have watched a lot of these freaking things. And um, we won't be watching them for season three. We've been kind of teasing our season three person for a while. Obviously, you won't even know till we are done with the Drew Barrymore on who our season three person is. But that kind of thing won't happen in season three. And honestly good because I don't know if there would be a season four if I had to continue watching these kinds of movies. I feel like with the thinking about like Luke Wilson and this and, and just again thinking about like other people you mentioned, auteurs, I and okay, I'm stretching disbelief a little bit here. Um, but I almost feel like there's a world where like really early Wes Anderson with like Bottle Rocket with Luke Wilson and Owen Wilson, like that's it, Wes Anderson is not a absurdist like that's that's absolutely not what I'm saying but I think that there is a world with super early Wes Anderson where even he could take this script or some version of the script and make it into something otori does that make sense like it wouldn't be this exact thing I think John Waters could take this exact thing and make it um a John Waters movie a cult movie um but I I feel like that connection is almost making me go like Bottle Rocket was a little weird and wacky too yeah, it's so weird, though, because you go like, okay, Bottle Rocket very clearly shows where Wes is going to go. I think Home Fry shows where Vince Gilligan is going to go, you know? Yeah. He likes that kind of rural, you know, um, uh, people who should be good people but aren't kind of yeah. thing. You know, I'm not that familiar with his work, but it's, you know, it's obvious, right? I would love to just, like, if I ever met him... I would just be like, will you talk to me about home fries? Yeah, but then also you go like, well, I wrote it when I was in college. And you go like, oh, well, yeah, you, you did. True, I mean, you know. true. So, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I think it's definitely just like this is episode 19 for us, 18, 19, I think 18. And uh, so we're deep into this, right? But our director, our screenwriter, they are not deep into this, yeah. right? And so you, that's why we kind of, I don't know, one of the many reasons why we're not vibing with it. Yeah. Next week, we head to one of the greatest years in film ever, 1999, for the movie Never Been Kissed. We have so many Double Features episodes coming up. Can you believe it? Our next four episodes 
are double feature episodes. Oof. I know. Um, or but, should I say woof for our video hounds, God? Oh, God. Um, although although excuse me, next week's double is, uh, is not with another movie. It is with Drew's second time hosting SNL. I can't wait. I cannot wait. I love a good SNL um, moment or TV moment to to break up the monotony of this show. Not that sounds bad. Uh, you know what I mean? Just like it goes off track from cinema for a second. You we can, can only just... watch so many of these quirky crime capers <laughs> yes. before you need something else yes. to to wash it down with. And never been kissed. Um, obviously, this is straight rom com, right? Although interesting premise, which we'll talk about next week. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, tons of double features coming up. This episode's a little bit late. Those episodes won't be late. Um, it's not even really late. It's just kind of like in between where the Ever After and Home Fries episodes would have landed. Um, but we'll be back on schedule on our Fridays pretty soon. Until then, all of the places you can find us. Here we go. Our main place is our website, FeaturePresentationVideo.com. It is the home of everything that we do. This show, Why Two Kids, where we celebrate nostalgic things from our childhood. And celebrate Patrick's birthday this week. On the on tomorrow's episode, if you're listening to this today to the drops, yes. Um, all the reviews that we write, all the comms that we write, everything happens over at FeaturePresentationVideo.com. The return of Taylor Loves, Taylor Watches. You've got me saying Taylor Loves Rom-Coms. Well, Ta- I do love rom-coms. That's why it's so tough. Taylor Watches Rom-Coms uh, uh, coming soon. Taylor's going to watch some big fat Greek rom-coms. Um, fun stuff goes on over there. You can head over there, put your email address in. We will send you everything that we do for free, free stuff, five days a week, no paywall. You can also, if you want, pay $5 a month for it and donate to the cause. It's even cheaper if you sign up for a whole year. This podcast can also be found, of course, anywhere you listen to your podcasts, Spotify, Apple, wherever that may be. Hopefully, you've already rated us five stars and left us a nice review and hit that subscribe button so whenever we post it goes directly to you either you do that or you go to our website either way you know right away when we post you can find me on letterboxd at taylor malone i have been popping off on letterboxd we've been celebrating patrick's birthday and watching a lot of movies in the process so lots of things to see on my letterboxd again at taylor malone and you can find me on x where i am significantly less active but still love to chat um at mailer Talone. You can find me at Patrick Patrick at Patrick J Regal everywhere you find people online. But the best place to find us is our website, FeaturePresentationVideo.com. Next week, never been kissed. Andrew's 1999 SNL hosting gig. See you then. <laughs>